Jesus, we sing for all you've done. Amen. He's done a lot for us, hasn't he? Amen. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, if you'd go to Romans chapter 12. We want to finish a sermon we began last week. Marks of a living sacrifice. So, Romans chapter 12, we will read verse 1, then we'll drop down to verse 9. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Marks of a living sacrifice. Continuing the message that we began last week, and our thought is that if we are living sacrifices unto God, that's what we're called to be, then our lives will take on characteristics that mark us as living sacrifices that mark us as belonging to Jesus Christ. So in this sermon, we're looking at individual marks of a person who has committed himself, herself, wholly to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. Six marks are found within our few verses. Last week we covered that, number one, this life will be marked by an authentic love for God's people. Verse 9a and verse 10. This, this mark, this living sacrifice will be marked with an authentic love for God's people. And, and we said last time, it's not surprising that love is the first characteristic on Paul's list. People that are truly committed to Christ will be marked by the same love or should be marked by the same love that marked the life of Christ. And we covered three subpoints. Number one, there was the, um, the command, the commandment that we love one another. And we were reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus from John's Gospel, chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, where Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we recognize as a living sacrifice, if I'm wholly sold out to the Lord and walking with Him, that there will be an authentic love for God's people. And we covered the commandment, and then we covered the criteria of our love, where Paul writes, love must be sincere. Or some of your New King James, love must be without hypocrisy. And so we see the criteria is that the love that God calls us to walk in is not merely an act. It's not merely an outward thing, but it flows from the heart. It is genuine and it is real. And third sub-point, not only the commandment, not only the criteria, but we said the challenge of loving one another is that Paul calls us to love all in the family of God just like we would members of our own natural family. 
He speaks and He says, I want you to walk towards love, towards that one over there that you might not know too well, but they're one of mine, and I want you to love them with the same sincerity, sacrifice, earnestness that you would your very own kin, your very own personal family. We're exhorted to love and treat other Christians as we would members of our own family. So the first mark that Paul says, a living sacrifice will have an authentic love for the body of Christ, for God's people. But then the second thing we noted is that a living sacrifice will have a life that is marked by an absolute standard of morality. There's an absolute standard of morality. We looked at the ninth verse, number B, where Paul writes that we are to hate evil, but hold on to the good. Verse, verse 9, that second part, Paul writes to us, hate what is evil. But cling like glue. Hold on tightly to what is good. We have an absolute standard of morality. Those that call themselves Christians. A Bible standard of morality and righteousness governs our lives. And we're not swayed from that. And again, if, this, if you're a living sacrifice, this mark identifies you as being genuine. That we, there's a hatred of evil and there's a holding on to the good. And I'd exhort you this morning to hold firmly and don't let go of the good things you've received in Christ and the good things you've achieved through your walk of faith. Hold on and let no one steal your crown. Let no one steal your joy. Let no one take away your character or your consecration. Don't let anyone move in and rip off that place you've obtained in God or the priceless treasures you've received in that wonderful walk with the Savior. Hold on to that which is good. And don't let this world and its deceptions and its temptations steal it from you, but hold firmly to that which you've received in Christ. Psalm 97 and verse 10, Psalm 97 and verse 10 speaks about the child of God will let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So we recognize that a mark we will have in our lives, if we're truly sold out for Christ, we will hate evil and we will hold to the good. And we said last time, and I'll just briefly say it again, this is something that would really separate us from this fallen world. Because we stand firm and unwavering for Bible morality and Bible truth. It makes no difference what governors or judges legislate or a culture accepts or rejects as a living sacrifice, as a sold out believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We build and we set our morality and our sense of right and wrong upon the clearly communicated truth of God's unchanging word. And this will mark out clearly our lives, it will make a distinction of our lives in a very dark and confused and adulterous generation. So number one, that first mark will have a love, authentic love for the people of God. But number two, we have an absolute standard for morality. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Number three, a living sacrifice is also marked by an enthusiasm or a zeal for God. And you see in verse 11, how Paul writes, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor or fire serving the Lord. 
Keep your glow. Literally in the Greek, it's keep your boil. Keep boiling for the Lord. Keep it going there. And we recognize that we are never to be lacking in zeal. In fact, the Bible describes Christians. Romans 6 would say that we're dead to sin, but we're alive unto God. In Ephesians, how Paul writes about God who is rich in mercy and great in love. And God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And the mark of a truly sincere believer of Christ should be marked by a diligence and a passion and an energy in their walk and in their talk and in their witness and in their work and in their worship for the Lord. There's a glow, there's a zeal, there's an enthusiasm, there's an excitement. A living sacrifice is zealous concerning the eternal treasures and the wonderful privileges and even the duties that have been entrusted to the believer. We're excited about this great salvation that Christ has given us. It moves our hearts when we think of the wonders of His grace and the tender mercies that He's poured out upon our lives. When we think about how far He's brought us and all the things that He's brought us through, how He's taken us from an old sinner and made us sons and daughters forgiven and righteous. It stirs our heart. It releases a song. It moves us to praise Him. There's a zeal and a fervor and a fire when you truly know and understand the great salvation that Christ has given you. Somebody say Amen. There is a zealousness, an earnest, an energetic power towards the honor of our God and the house of our God, the service for our God and praise unto our God. After all, we certainly do have something to get excited and enthusiastic about. Amen. Marks that identify living sacrifice. As we said it before, you know, there's a lot of designer clothes out there. And you can go to certain places and get knockoffs. Amen. They kind of look like the real thing, but they're not the real thing. When you get a little closer, you find out they don't have the identification marks to say it's genuine. And there are a lot of phonies out there. Amen. Uh, fabulous fakes, we call them sometimes. And, but, but there's a genuineness upon the life of the believer. And Paul's walking it through. Paul is not saying just because you yell or just because, you know, you, you, know, you, you walk on the other side when you see an old sinner. But he says, if you're the real deal and you're a living sacrifice, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. It's reasonable. It's not beyond the call of duty. It's just our reasonable service. And be not conformed. Do not be pressed into the mold of this world. But as you walk with God, be transformed. There's a transformation that should take place. He saved me, but He didn't leave me there. He's growing me. He's maturing me as I walk with Him. And I'm not pressed into the mold of this world, but I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind that my life might demonstrate or show the will of God. Love for God's people, a standard of morality, an enthusiasm, a zeal for God and the things of God. And now we begin where we left off. Number four, a living sacrifice is marked by a faith under fire. This one will separate the men from the boys. Verse 12, Paul writes, Be joyful in hope. Or rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction or in trial. And be faithful in prayer. 
the living sacrifice because of their devotion and closeness and walk with God. They are able to enter into that place with God, be connected to the power of God, that within their life they will experience the beautiful power of hope. Hope has a wonderful power. The power of hope and the power of patience and the power of prayer will never leave this disciple because they have clung to that which is good and they hold on to the secret place of God and they practice coming before that throne of grace. It becomes their daily practice. It is the bread they eat. They feed on God's Word continually, walking in the Spirit. They are able to enjoy the blessings of hope, of patience, and of prayer that the world knows nothing about. And unfortunately, some of the church needs to be brought in on this secret. A living sacrifice is marked by faith under fire. That this man or woman is not just a fair weather believer. They stay faithful. They stay on fire for Christ, even in the trials, in the hardships, in the trying times of life. A living sacrifice. This person sings in the midnight hour. This person stands tall morally when others are bowing low. This person can stay sweet when trials tempt to turn them bitter. Seasons and situations cannot control or manipulate this believer's devotion, for they have made their life an offering unto God, and the altar of their heart is ablaze with the fire and continual burning of God's Spirit. And none of these things out in the world will move them from walking with their God and loving their God and staying true to their God, regardless of what they face or what life brings them through. Faith under fire. Whoa, what a thought. Faith under fire. Paul is saying a living sacrifice. They will understand and enjoy hope regardless of what they're facing. They will know and understand the power of patience as they trust and lean and rest on the working of God in their life. And they will be recipients of the privilege of prayer as they call on God and cast their burdens on God and receive from God. It's a beautiful thing. Faith under fire. When we begin to think of those that have walked with God through the years, when we begin to think of the Bible examples of men and women who we can, we can deem as those who people had faith, under fire, we think of Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail, battered and bruised, bloodied and beaten. Why? Because they obeyed the call of God and they preached the good news of Christ and God used them to set a poor, pathetic demon girl free. And in the midnight hour, instead of giving in to the bitterness and the despair, they lifted up their voices and praised God in the midst of it all. Folks, when you can praise Him in the midnight hour of your trial, that's faith under fire. That's having a hope. That's knowing patience. That's giving forth in prayer. We think of the three Hebrew children. Now that's faith under fire. And everybody else bowed low to the idols. But they said there's only one God and Him only can we serve. They were thrown into the fiery furnace because they stood tall for that which was righteous, holy, and true. But you know the story. The fire couldn't consume them. The heat and the intensity could not crush them. And when you looked into the fire, they found out that Jesus was walking with them. Somebody, when you have a faith under fire, you'll find out that Jesus, He'll walk with you 
through it. He'll hold you through it. He'll carry you through it. God honors faith. Let us have a faith under fire that in the midnight hour we can praise Him. When others are giving in, we can stand tall and trust Him and watch God draw near and watch God hold us tight and watch God bring us through. Somebody say Amen. Hallelujah. Faith under fire. The New King James will say, rejoicing in hope. A mark of a sold-out believer, you rejoice in hope. Now everybody can sing when things are going good, but we're giving signs of a true believer. Someone that walks with God. You can rejoice in hope. Because I can't always rejoice in my circumstance, but I can rejoice in hope. Let's get back here. Hallelujah. Let's look at this a little closer. A living sacrifice marked by a faith under fire. This close and consistent walk with God produces in the heart of such a person the power of hope, the power of patience, and the power of prayer. These characteristics enable the Christian to remain victorious even while going through a trial. Rejoicing in hope. New King James, rejoicing in hope. NIV says joyful in hope. RSV, rejoicing in your hope. I like that. Hope is a confident expectation. For the Christian, hope is not a wishful thinking. It's a confidence in the future that knows He's returning, that knows in the end there will be victory, that knows whatever I'm facing will not have the last say in my life. Our hope is in God and in His promises. Our hope is in a presence that will not leave us nor forsake us. Our hope is in the care and the concern and the ultimate victory that He will bring all of His children into. The Christian knows that whatever they face in this life, God will do one of two things. Either He'll remove the trial or He'll bring us through the trial. But either way, the child of God is going on into victory. And in that, we certainly have a hope. The Christian knows He does not have to face the battle alone. The Christian knows that because Christ is with us, no situation is ever hopeless and no situation is ever too great for the grace of God within us. I can rejoice not because of the trial, but because I know that Jesus will bring me through the trial and He'll be by my side every step for every trial. When I can't rejoice because of my circumstance, I can still rejoice in the midst of my circumstance because I know that God will bring me through and God will keep me strong and God will never let me go and He'll never let you go. Can you say amen? There's hope as the believer. There is hope that gives us an endurance to carry on, a strength to persevere. It gives us the ability not to give in to the desperations or the fears. Hope gives the Christian an enduring power as we confidently know that Christ is coming and victory awaits us. Our hope in Christ assures us that the future has eternal victory in store for everyone that calls on His name. It's a secure thing. It's a settled fact for the believer. That though the trial and the battle, though the heartache and the hardship, it won't last forever. But praise God, His victory and His salvation will. Having a hope in Christ 
because of what I know awaits, it gives me a present strength for the now. How can we say it? Um, we are comforted and driven and encouraged by the hope we have. We recognize that God gives me an inner grace for the present challenge. But I receive that grace because I know that victory awaits regardless of what I face. Titus 2 and verse 13. The early church was encouraged to live holy in a polluted world. To stay firm in the true grace of God. And one of the things that they were told should motivate them and encourage them is that they were to look or wait for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a blessed hope because I know ultimately what shall happen. It gives me a grace and a strength to keep pressing on in the now. Because I know ultimately God will bring me to His side. It gives me a strength to keep believing here and keep pressing on here. I have a hope in Christ. And though I cannot always rejoice in what I'm presently feeling, I can always rejoice in what I know. That God is in control and I am in His care. And there awaits for us the final call is one of victory, one of triumph. In that, I have hope. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. So regardless of what I face here, I know that's not the end. I know that's not the final decree for God has deemed victory for you and victory for me. Rejoicing in hope. Because I know my labor in the Lord is not in vain. Rejoicing in the hope that knows one glad morning. We shall see Him face to face and hear those wonderful words, Well done! Not good. In thy faithful servant, rejoicing in the hope that it will be worth it all that day and we shall see the Lord. So we'll keep trusting for Jesus' coming and we'll keep believing for Jesus is going to bring us all the way through. There is a power that comes from hope. My present focus on Him gives me an eternal strength within that keeps me marching. Winston Churchill he um, directed his own funeral, sounds like him. And when he planned his funeral, it took place in the great St. Paul's Cathedral there in London. And he included many of the great hymns of the church. And he used a lot of the elegant Anglican liturgy. And at his direction, a bugler at just the right time, positioned high in the dome at St. Paul's, intoned after the benediction the sound of taps, the universal signal that the day is over. But then came a dramatic turn. As Churchill had instructed, after Taps was finished, another bugler on the other side of the great dome began to play the notes to Reveille. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. And Churchill's testimony was that at the end of history, the last note will not be Taps, but it will be Reveille. You know, the Christian's hope is like that. The Christian's hope keeps us going because we know the last note will not be death and defeat, but a victory in life. And for that we march on. For the Christian that is a living sacrifice, Paul says you can recognize them because they'll rejoice in hope. Even if they're going through it, they can rejoice not always in what they're facing, but in the fact that God will bring them through. And God is coming back to take them. But secondly, not only they have a hope in Christ that keeps them strong, that, that keeps them going, but their patience, in Christ gives them the ability 
to receive and allow the hand of God to work in their lives when they're going through things that would cause others to give in to desperation and fear. We see here it says, patient in affliction. Or the New King James would, would word it, um, patient in tribulation. Now, the hope that sustains me as a servant of Christ also enables me to endure and be patient in the present trial that I face. The ability to wait, the ability to trust, the ability to depend on the Lord, to accomplish His work in my life. When we go through an affliction, we're facing a tribulation. There's power in patience for the one that really walks with God. To the one that knows Him enough to know how to trust and just know how to rest and just know how to allow God to work it all out. Two things will happen to the believer that understands the power of patience. Number one, it protects the believer from rash decisions, desperate actions, and fearful responses. It protects the believer from self-inflicted wounds and self-destructions, but it also positions the believer and puts them in a place that allows God to work, both in them and in their situation, that allows the Lord to orchestrate and dictate and finally to elevate His child at just the right time. It's the power of patience that allows me to submit to God and allow Him to work things together for His good at His time in His perfect way. It's hard to do that when you don't know Him. It's hard to do that when you haven't developed that relationship that can really trust Him. But for the living sacrifice that walks close with Him, that enjoys Him, that spends time with Him. There's a trust and a grace that enables them to wait on the Lord, to work out His good work. It keeps them from responding rashly out of fear and anxiety and desperation. They understand the beautiful truth that when we humble ourselves on the mighty hand of God, it positions us that He might lift us up in due time. The living sacrifice knows how to properly endure life's trials, waiting, resting in the Lord, allowing Him to do His good work. It's like the old song we used to sing, I'm going to hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles. And because you and I who know the Lord and walk with God as living sacrifices, because we have a perfect assurance concerning the outcome of our lives, we're able to persist against any obstacle. We're able to endure through any suffering. And we're able to trust God in any circumstance, knowing that God will make a way. And God at the right time will lift us up. And God, by His amazing grace, will lead us through every trial, every tear, every challenge. The power of patience flows from a heart that really knows this God and can really trust this God and can just rest in the care of this God and know that He will bring us through and He will work with good in His life. I read a story about a, a speedboat racer that went into a terrible um, crash, and, and he wrote about it, and it really brought out the power of being able to rest in God and be patient with God. Let me read it to you. Some years ago, a speedboat driver who had survived a racing accident told his story. He said he had been at near top speeds when his boat veered slightly and hit a wave at a dangerous angle. The combined force of his speed and the size and angle of the wave sent the boat spinning crazily in the air. He was thrown from his seat and propelled deeply into the water. So deep, in fact, 
that he had no idea which direction the surface was. He said it was the challenge I had to stay calm and wait for the buoyancy of the life vest to begin pulling me upward. Once he could see the light and discovered which way up was, he swam to the surface. The writer said, you know, sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by confusing options. We find our lives deeply immersed in our problems, and sometimes we don't know which way is up. And when this happens, we have to learn how to trust and be patient and rest in God. Trials and storms can disorientate us, bring fear and frustration to our hearts, sometimes move us into making a rash decision and a desperate action, something that winds up doing more harm than good. But the believer that walks close with God knows how to rest in God when the flesh says, do something. Knows how to wait patiently for God when the natural man just wants to reach out and power patience. Allows God to lift us and restore us till we get our bearings back and begin to understand which way the light is and which way to go. There's power and patience. For many times when the enemy brings a child of God through a storm, he's hoping that they react rashly and compound the problem instead of just trusting and resting and allowing God to work His work and minister His grace in a supernatural way. Those that walk with God, that truly understand this living sacrifice life, They will be men and women who have a faith under fire. They'll know how to rejoice in hope. I'm not always rejoicing in my circumstance, but I rejoice in the hope that Christ is coming, that Christ is in control, and that Christ will bring me through. But they also have and understand the power of patience in the trial when they don't know what to do. They don't give in to despair. They don't just make rash decisions, but they know how to trust and wait on God when everything within them says complain or just act or just respond. They know how to rest in the loving arms of the Savior as He lifts them up, helps them get back the orientation that they lost and head along the way. But thirdly, there are men and women that understand the power of prayer. Because there are men and women that are living sacrifices that walk close with God, They understand that their life is filled with, um, the New King James says, a continuously steadfast in prayer or being faithful in prayer. The believer continues in prayer. Prayer is not merely a 911. Prayer is not merely, um, what do we say, a spare tire type of thing. Hey, AAA is fine. Praise God for it. but, But it's not good for your walk with God. Amen. And thank God for AAA around here. You need it. Amen. Amen. Something's always getting flat around here. So you need, you need it. Thank God for AAA. But, but, but in the spiritual realm, I don't want to live AAA. I don't want prayer to be just, you know, the emergency. Oh, I broke down again. And God says, I forgot. Who are you again? It's been a while. Let me look you up in my file. No, 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 no. Oh, see my card. Is it up to date? Or is that? No, no, no. But the living sacrifice, they're not a 9 prayer person. They're devoted to prayer. It's a continuous thing. It, Jesus said, abide in me, and I will abide in you. 
It's an abiding. It's a continual thing. It is um, The believer continues in prayer. Faithful means to give oneself to constant attention. To be devoted to it. Attentive to it. Unceasing. Steadfast. And the living sacrifice. That man or woman stays in constant communion with their Lord. They, they um, have a continual connection with the Almighty. That flow of His grace and His strength and His compassion, and His wisdom. It doesn't cease that enduring power. It doesn't wane because there's a connection and there's a continual communion. This person is devoted to prayer. Communion with his Lord is a constant part of his or her life. That's a mark of a living sacrifice. Billy Graham, in one of his books on prayer, told a story about a young president of a company who instructed his secretary not to disturb him because he had an important appointment. Well, the chairman of the board um, came in unexpectedly and said, I want to see Mr. Jones. And the secretary answered, well, I'm terribly sorry. He can't be disturbed. He's in an important appointment. And, of course, the chairman didn't like that answer. He got angry and just kind of banged open the door. And, And as soon as he took one step in, he saw the president of his corporation on his knees in prayer. The chairman softly closed the door and backed out. Then asked the secretary, is is this usual? And she said, oh yes, he does this every morning. To which the chairman of the board responded, no wonder I come to him for advice. It's a good thing. And um, a living sacrifice believer has made an appointment with the living God. And they keep that appointment consistently and constantly. And there's a daily communion with their God. Can you say amen? Amen. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. We're talking about signs of a living sacrifice. What are some of the marks that men and women ought to see in the life of the believer wholly committed to Christ? Number one, there's an authentic love for God's people. Number two, there is a life marked by absolute standard of morality. Number three, there's an enthusiasm. There's an excitement about God and the things of God. Life is seen. Amen? Life is seen. But fourthly, we said they have a faith under fire. They have a faith under fire. They understand and have a hope and they rejoice in hope. They endure the present trial because they know future victory awaits. It's secure in Christ. They're able to be patient in life. They say, no, God is working on behalf of those that love Him. And they can trust Him when they don't know what else to do. And they can't work things out. They can rest and reject the desperation. Reject despair and trust in the working hand of a loving God. But they also have the wonderful power of prayer. Because a living sacrifice is not merely someone that comes in once in a blue moon. They walk with God. They talk with God. They commune with God. Hallelujah. But the last one we'll touch on, and we'll just do this one briefly. This life is marked by their ministry and generosity to others. If you would, let's look at verses 13 through 15. And I'll just kind of give you the outline here. Now remember, a living sacrifice enters into the heart of God. You cannot commune with God daily and consistently and not be transformed into God. Not be transformed in a sense where you take on the characteristics of God and you begin to receive the heart of God and begin to act, you know, you begin to act like those you hang with. 
When you're in the presence, you begin to... This will happen to the believer that walks with God. The compassion from his heart overflows into your heart. The love and concern for others that's in his heart begins to spill over and touch your heart. The vision he has for hurting lives begins to take part in your vision as you look at others. You look at them through a different scope and a different lens. I'll never forget Pastor Veach. And you know, I've talked about Pastor Veach before. He's more of a, 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 a prophet than some kind of outline teacher. I don't think he ever wrote an outline. If he did, it, we never saw it. He, he just kind of he just kind of preached, and he'd go, and he'd go, and he, he would go. And, but I can remember so many stories as a, of a teenager, and one he brought out to the point of where Moses comes down from the hill, and God had just said, get out of my way. The, the people have rebelled against me. I'm going to wipe them out. And the response of Moses, if you're going to wipe them out, start with me. Wipe me out first. And I never forget the old preacher said, now, was he being audacious? Was he being rebellious? He goes, of course not. He had just spent 40 days and nights in the presence of God. And when you begin to spend days and nights in the presence of God, you'll start to act like God. And you'll start to feel like God. And you'll start to talk like God. He says, no, Moses wasn't being rebellious. In fact, he was sounding like the Lord Jesus when he said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't obliterate them. Instead, obliterate me. Oh, amazing love. <laughs> and as we walk with God, more than just outward things, an inward transformation takes place. The living sacrifice is a man or woman whose mind is renewed, whose life enters into that great throne of grace daily. And as they commune with God, there's a transformation that takes place. As we pour out, God pours in. As we commune with Him, He communes with us. And some wonderful things happen. We notice here, verse, verse 13, Paul says, listen, share with God's people who are in need. Selfishness goes, and the desire to touch others and give towards others is, is, is stirred. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This final mark of a living sacrifice Christian is the mark of generosity towards others. We call it the ministry of the open hand, the ministry of the open home, and the ministry of the open heart. There, We share with those in need. In a world where people are Moving about giving, getting, getting. We're bent on giving and touching and reaching. Contributing or sharing to the needs of the saints means that we recognize God owns it all, everything I have. And I'm a steward of it. And as God touches my heart, hey, I just want to be like God. When I see a need, I want to bless. When I see someone hurting, I want to help. When I see someone falling, I want to try to lift them up. When I see someone wounded, I want to weep with them and try to console them and be God's instrument to bring healing and comfort to them. Let's look at Galatians 6 and 10. Ministry of the open hand. You'll notice a sincere believer is a giver. And they're generous and they want to minister to others. They're moved to help and be part of the solution, not the problem. And Paul writes, therefore, as we have opportunity... 
As life gives us opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Amen? When I see a need, I don't need a need. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Amen? He didn't walk on by. He went down. All right? But number two, there's the ministry of the open home. And when it says that be hospitable, literally it says pursue hospitality. Create opportunities to minister. It's um, the child of God has a ministry of the open home. They're looking and desiring for an opportunity to bless and to help and to be the hand of God. In fact, look at Hebrews 13 and 2. It's an interesting verse. Some of you might not have read it before, but it's an interesting verse where the writer of Hebrews says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels. Without knowing it. Woo! That's an interesting one, isn't it? Number three, they have a ministry of the open heart. The open heart blesses, rejoices, and weeps, whatever the need. The open heart reaches out and embraces others. This last sign. When you and I are living sacrifices and we walk close with the Lord, we wholeheartedly serve God, there is a compassion and a concern for others that touches our heart, grips our heart, because that's being like Jesus. The touch of God, abiding with God, helps me to enter into the heart of God. And I no longer see people like I used to. I no longer feel towards people like I used to. But now this new creation, this new creation, begins to take upon it the emotion and the compassion and the vision of my Father and my God. Amen. 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 And we close. May our lives communicate clearly to the world around us that we belong to Jesus. Let no one ever have a shadow of a doubt that we belong to Him and we walk close with Him. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, we're going to close and open the altar here. If you're here today and you need special prayer, we want to pray with you. As we pray our last prayer, sing our last song, the altars will be open. If you're here today and and you've never received Christ, well, today's your day. It's time to come and know Jesus personally. It's time to come and put your faith in Him. And if you'll come down, someone will pray with you and you can know salvation. You can know forgiveness. If you're here today and things are not right where they need to be, well, don't ignore what God's been speaking to your heart. Come down and make a fresh start. Come down and make a fresh altar. And for everybody else, if you're here today and you have need of prayer, regardless of what your need is, it's our privilege to pray one for another. And so you might need something in the family. You might need a better job. You might be facing a doctor's appointment. If you're here today and you would like someone to pray with you as we open these altars, please come on down and let's believe together for God to work His wonders in your life. Amen? Stand with me, please, as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You. We love You, Lord. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You've given us the outline, the instruction, the pattern that You want us to follow. And Father, I thank You for the instruction of Your Word that You communicate to us Your will and Your desire for Your people. And I thank You, Lord, for the power of Your Holy Spirit that helps us to respond to Your Word and to grow in our faith, to become more and more and more like Jesus.
Father, help us to live in this world as a clear testimony to Jesus Christ. May the marks and identifying signs of a sincere Christian, a sincere follower of Christ, let that be clearly demonstrated and expressed through our lives. Now, Father, I pray, please fill every person here that's thirsty for more of you. Some have come, Lord, and they're hungry for more. They have a thirst for a fresh filling. Father, I pray, fill every hungry heart that's here today. Strengthen every heart, O God, that's weary from the battle, that's going through it. Lord, you know everyone's need. You know everyone's story. Father, strengthen every heart that's feeling weary in the battle. They look to you. Fill them afresh. Give them a new strength, Lord. Go back and believe you and stand firm in the armor of God. And Father, please release your power to heal with clear signs and wonders. Heal. Whether it be a broken heart or a broken limb, heal. Whether it be a confused mind or a weary soul, God, heal. Holy Spirit, speak to individuals. Holy Spirit, begin to draw near, begin to apprehend, and bring men and women to a place where they are positioned to receive from your hand grace and kindness, compassion and love. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone that responds. You know every need. You know all the specifics. Release the working of your mighty power. And let there be mending. Let there be cleansing. Let there be refreshing. Let there be reviving. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Let's sing this one time through. And if you need prayer, please don't delay. Come. And let God touch you and let God do something special in your life.